On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irokti Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligam, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, the shock firing and rehiring of Sam Altman at OpenAI. Hardly a week goes by these days without a story about artificial intelligence making the news. Often, these stories centers on fears that AI will replace human jobs. Technology is this sort of, this, this unstoppable force, and we should assume that AI is going to replace a lot of human capability. But this week, there's just one job that's been making the headlines. He was out, but not for long. Sam Altman is returning as chief executive of OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT. The move caps an astonishing few days of office intrigue. So who is this tech revolutionary, Sam Altman? Why is he so significant? And what does the technology he has created mean for the world? There's there's a real danger for digital superintelligence having negative consequences. And so if we are not careful with creating artificial general intelligence, we could have potentially a catastrophic outcome. I'm Ellen Coyne, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Adrian Wecker, technology editor at the Irish Independent and host of The Big Tech Show, to discuss the very human drama at the heart of artificial intelligence. So, Adrian, we've had this absolute roller coaster of a story that has not only dominated the tech world over the past week, but the drama has been so much that it's gone way beyond that. And it all centers around Sam Altman. Can you start by telling us who he is and what company he worked for? Yeah, Sam Altman right now is the most influential person in Silicon Valley. It's an overused metaphor, but he would be considered in the same bracket as Steve Jobs of Apple. He's the CEO of a company called OpenAI, which is one of two predominant artificial intelligence companies in the world at the moment. It is the company that gives us ChatGPT, which has become the breakthrough association that we all have with artificial intelligence. Altman does have a very blue chip past in Silicon Valley as well. He was president of Y Combinator, which is by far the preeminent startup incubator in in Silicon Valley, that gave us the likes of the Collison Brothers, for example. It didn't give us the Collison Brothers, but that's what they passed through before they built Stripe. So he's considered to be one of the most important, yes, most hyped, but also one of the most revered, almost in a cult-like way, leaders in Silicon Valley. Wow. So probably for the general public, probably the most recognizable faces of, of AI as well. 
And it, last week he was fired. Last week he was fired. And this took not only Silicon Valley, but the entire business world by surprise. And I might get to the figures later on because this is very, very big business. And this is one of the reasons why it transcends the tech world. The exact reasons why he was fired are still slightly unclear because the members of the board, a very small board, who were the ones to fire Altman by a majority, still haven't elucidated exactly why he was fired. However, we do have some clues and we can join the dots from statements that have been made. And it seems that there was a central tension in the company. And I say company because it's actually a non-profit, but there was a central tension between whether OpenAI should go down a more commercial route with ChatGPT or whether it should adhere to its non-profit roots, a research organization, something that prioritizes safety in AI and so we won't have the dangers that some of us are talking about with artificial intelligence and existential threat and all that sort of stuff. We are getting to a point where machines will be capable of a lot of the cognitive um, work that, that humans do at some point. Is there a point of no return in that process? There could be. There could be. This seemed to be a huge tension between, on one hand, Sam Altman, some executives that share his view and investors like Microsoft, which have invested over $10 billion into OpenAI, and the board, particularly uh, two or three members of the board who prioritize safety and a slower pace and going at the kind of speed that a research organization would go. That seems to have been the main tension and that seems to have been why the board said that Altman had not always been consistently candid with the board about his plans for the company. So that's as best we know. Now, there is an investigation ongoing into exactly what happened and exactly why he was fired. And that was one of the conditions about Sam Altman returning to OpenAI was that this investigation could proceed. So the story is probably not over. We probably will find out more about that. Hey, it's really interesting. It sounds like this came down to a debate that is happening more broadly in general about artificial intelligence. So I suppose it's like a microcosm of what's happening in the industry anyway. But you mentioned Microsoft there, um, the biggest investor in OpenAI. After Altman was fired, what was the reaction of Microsoft? It was mixed. On the one hand, they acted very, very quickly and they offered Sam Altman a job in Microsoft along with uh, Greg Brockman and anyone else from OpenAI who wanted to leave. So they saw you call it an opportunity or damage limitation by creating a new AI division or enhancing uh, their existing operations within Microsoft itself. Now, that was damage control to an extent because while Microsoft has a massive investment in open AI, it suits Microsoft very much to have open AI as a separate entity into which they have a huge investment because that way they can tell regulators in Washington and particularly in the European Union that they don't own this technology so that when the rest of us hold hearings as to the existential threat of artificial intelligence, how it should be regulated, who the main players are, potentially controls on those companies, it's not Microsoft on which those controls will go, it's OpenAI. So Microsoft right now gets all of the benefits from its investment in OpenAI because it really has a front row seat into uh, all of the technology that comes out of it and it can integrate it into its own products as it sees fit. 
without many of the downsides of being in charge and responsible for the downsides of the technology. So Microsoft's response to all of this was to offer a refuge to Sam Alton, but at the same time to hope that things would patch themselves back up and to try and put pressure behind the scenes on the board of OpenAI to take Sam Alton back. And that's what happened. And he also, while enjoying, obviously, the security of being offered the job by Microsoft so quickly, he got a lot of support from his colleagues as well. This is an unprecedented show of support from OpenAI staffers for their former CEO, Sam Altman. More than 700 employees, that's 95% of the company, say they are ready to follow Altman to Microsoft, where he's set to build a new AI venture. They've signed a letter calling for OpenAI's board of directors to fully resign, and they want Altman reinstated, along with Greg Brockman, who was also removed from the board and then resigned as the company's president. They also want to add two independent lead directors. Now, this letter states were unable to work for or with people that lack competence, judgment, and care for our mission and employees. Oh my God. I mean, over 700 of the 770 people who work in OpenAI said they would quit, they would walk out of the company and join Microsoft if Sam Altman wasn't uh, reinstated to the position of CEO and if the board wasn't removed. And that does actually seem to have been the main reason why the board relented. The board seemed to have been willing to take all of the slings and arrows that were thrown at them on social media. They seemed to have been willing to take all of the threats. They had appointed an interim CEO, two interim CEOs, Emma Cheer, who was co-founder of the video streaming company Twitch, became the CEO for 72 hours. So they were willing to make a go of it. But with everyone about to walk out of the company, essentially loyal to Sam Altman, that couldn't sustain itself. Now, just bear in mind in the back of your head here, there's another reason why everyone was loyal to Sam Altman. The institution, if you like, is valued at $86 billion. Now, what's going to happen, what's about to happen, is that some of that benefit in the terms of compensation and, and share benefits is about to accrue to staff in OpenAI. It's going to be a very handsome payday for them. It's not clear that that would have happened had the board's uh, wish to put on the brakes on OpenAI's commercial development continued. So there may have been a very, very urgent pecuniary reason and interest that the, that the staff had in supporting Sam Altman and, and not wanting him to, to leave the company. So with all that pressure coming on them, the board gave in, basically. They gave in, basically. Now, they did secure a few concessions. Number one, there has to be an investigation into the reasons why Sam Altman was fired. And that might throw up something that hasn't been reported. Now, we, we don't know. Number two, Sam Altman himself cannot go on the board. And that's a big deal because a board is very, very powerful within a company, even a $90 billion company in, in Silicon Valley. But yes, ultimately, they did relent. One of the rebel board members, ones who fired Sam Altman, is remaining on the board. It's Adam D'Angelo. He is the CEO of Quora, which is the online uh, service, which sometimes answers weird questions and interesting questions you might have. He is staying on the board. A board is supposed to be independent of the executive of, of CEO. So that is seen as a continuity of independence on the board. 
it's some week for him. Like you get fired very publicly. When the biggest tech companies in the world comes in to save you, the people who fired you are removed and you're you're brought back with the support of hundreds of employees. I mean, if he wasn't an intriguing person already, like he really is now, can you tell us a little bit more about him and his background? He was born in Chicago. He grew up in St. Louis, actually, in Missouri. He then went through many of the typical high-end schooling and college uh, experiences that you would expect of somebody in Silicon Valley. And then he just started a meteoric rise. I mean, he's still pretty young at this point. I think he's, I think, late 30s, early 40s, I think. He is in many ways your typical Silicon Valley product. He's someone who came from outside Silicon Valley and now is revered as one of the most important figures actually in the world. I mean, don't forget the reason we're talking about all of this is because artificial intelligence by a long way receives the most amount of investment in the tech sector at the moment. It is by a long way considered the to have the most potential, not just to make money, but also to have an effect on our lives. It's both exhilarating as well as terrifying That's to people. Sure. Because on the one hand, there's all of this potential for good. On the other hand, there's a huge number of unknowns that could turn out very badly for society. What do you think about that? We, we've got to be cautious here. And, and also, I, I think it doesn't work to do all this in a lab. You've got to get these products out into the world. And, and make contact with reality, make our mistakes while the stakes are low. But all of that said, uh, I think people should be happy that we're a little bit scared of this. I think people should be You're happy. a little bit scared. A little bit, yeah, You personally. I think if I said I were not, you should either not trust me or be very unhappy I'm in this job. So he has been somebody who has turned up at all of these hearings in London, in the EU, in Washington Congress to explain what AI is and what the dangers uh, can be and why and how it should be regulated. But at the same time, he's also the person who is pushing the technology faster and more aggressively than, than anyone else. And I mean, in terms of him as an individual, you often hear about very big personalities in tech. Do we know like what kind of person he is? Yeah, he is considered to be somewhat abrasive. He inspires great loyalty from those around him, but in that similar way that people like Steve Jobs and, and others considered in that same bracket, he also has a lot of people who hold grudges against him, who say that he is not a nice person to work with, who, who say that he can uh, be dismissive, he can be aggressive. Bizarrely, he has an ongoing feud with Elon Musk, of all people. So uh, Elon, when this throughout this whole saga, has been sniping at Altman, and even when the situation seemed to be resolved with Altman back at uh, OpenAI, Elon couldn't resist the opportunity to post a now-deleted uh, letter alleging misdemeanors against uh, Sam Altman. So he is your very typical alpha tech leader in Silicon Valley. You touched on it before, but I suppose the reason this is so important to the public and it's so important for us to know what OpenAI is doing is probably because of the chat GPT product. For people who aren't familiar with it, tell us about this product and why it's seen as such a revolutionary and maybe even a scary development. Yeah, the reason it's so powerful is because if you think about this 
as uh, they call it a large language model. And the more information you feed it, the smarter it gets and the more that it can tie concepts and ideas and sentences and even what could be substitutes for thoughts together. So anyone who has used ChatGPT, if you haven't used ChatGPT, imagine something like Google and imagine you type in a query to it, but it's not just opening hours restaurant or it's not just, you know, what's the weather like in, in Dublin or Cork or Donegal tomorrow. Imagine it is something like write me a, a paragraph about the Indo-Daily show podcast. Make sure to mention Ellen Coyne and also mention that it deals with current affairs and technology sometimes. It will come back to you with a very, very competent paragraph or a hundred words or a thousand words or whatever on Ellen Coyne, the Indo-Daily podcast, technology, current affairs, Ireland, and anything else that it adjudges are relevant to the, to the context that what I'm trying to get across here is it is the closest thing to talking to a human person that we have yet seen. That doesn't mean it's it's up to the level of talking to a human person yet, but it's the closest thing we have seen. And it's getting more and more powerful all the time. It takes an insane amount of, of computing, far more than Google or, or any of the other big uh, search engines or systems we have at the moment. But because they have sort of unlocked how to stitch ideas together with information and data, it is seen as having almost unlimited uh, potential and not just for the, what I've just mentioned now, chat GPT, but for, for all sorts of things that we do at the moment. Most estimates reckon that in the next four or five years that most of the, the digital or online things we do will somehow be influenced by AI. Now, obviously, that has considerable downsides as well. We have elections here next year, the elections in the UK and the US next year as well. Election interference and misinformation and deep fake videos and all of that are made much, much easier by artificial intelligence. Does ChatGPT, does artificial intelligence create more truth in the world or more untruth in the world? Oh, I think we're on a trajectory for it to create much more truth in the world. If there's a bunch of misinformation fed into the model, isn't, going to, isn't it going to spit out more misinformation? Great question. I, I think the right way to think of the models that we create um, is a reasoning engine, not a fact database. They can also act as a fact database, but that's not really what's special about them. What we're training these models to do is something closer to, what we want them to do is something closer to the ability to reason, not to memorize. So. The downsides are mostly what are discussed at the moment, but as to what the technology is and is personified in ChatGPT, it's very powerful and it's very useful. And this idea of generative AI, AI being able to create something completely new, people have concerns about it for reasons that you've just outlined. But when you look at this controversy and the fact that Altman, Microsoft, a lot of people in OpenAI do want to go down the commercial route, shouldn't that be ringing alarm bells for moral problems that could obviously come up if people are putting profit ahead of safeguarding? Absolutely. And that is our understanding of exactly why the board tried to put the brakes on it. I mean, one of the board members who was leading this push is Helen Toner. She's Georgetown University's Center for Security and Emerging Technology, and she's regarded as an expert on AI safety. and. Her view, although she hasn't really articulated it clearly on X or anywhere else, is understood from all of the reporting to be exactly that, that 
we might be going too fast and that we're launching this technology into the world without really putting the guardrails on, on it, without really having the regulation uh, in place to deal with it. Now, the techno-optimists' -optim response to that, and Sam Altman will be regarded as a techno-optimist, their response is you can't put the lid back on something once you've opened it. You just have to trust the system and that there are good people at the helm of the companies that will um, make sure that it doesn't you know, kill us all. And you can decide yourself whether that is a, a wise position to take or not. I, I know many people have very, very differing uh, views on that. But like one of the paradoxes in all of this is that when we talk about AI safety and how to regulate it, the companies and the organizations leading that discussion are usually, you know, OpenAI, Microsoft, Anthropic, which is the other big AI company or institution, Google, Amazon, to a lesser extent, Apple. These are all the companies that have the biggest investments in AI. And there is a hint of pulling the ladder up uh, behind them so that nobody else can, you know, develop as much AI as they can or no other country can. So there's a commercial side to it as well. Money is very important in this entire debate. It's very, very important. Open AI is estimated to be worth $86 billion. It may be worth more. That means it has huge investors. That means they want, they see an opportunity now to become generationally rich and generationally successful in the way that Apple shareholders have been, Meta's shareholders, Google's shareholders. And I wouldn't underestimate that end of it as well. And that plays into the discussion of safety and how fast you should go versus how cautious you should be. Well, how can we make the most money? That's often what it comes down to. And people have taken the cynical position before that when people from within the AI industry are warning about the moral pitfalls and the need for regulation, that they're trying to position themselves as their own regulators. They're trying to say that, you know, we're aware of this and we are able to regulate it ourselves before governments step in. Would you push a button to stop this if it meant we are no longer able to cure all diseases? Would you push a button to stop this if it meant we couldn't educate every child in the world super well? Would you push a button to stop this if it meant there was a 5% chance it would be the end of the world? I would push a button to slow it down. And in fact, I think we will need to figure out ways to slow down this technology over time. Does this whole scandal, if you could even call it that, not uh, prove the point that they, there does need to be external regulation because obviously there was a corporate governance structure that resulted in Altman being fired and as soon as there was external pressure that was unraveled very quickly. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. It, it does make the case and I think that will be one of the things that lives long after this saga is finally over. The problem with regulation is that it's often so slow in catching up. So we've been talking about regulation of AI for at least two years in a fairly intense way. The European Union is really the only area in the world, democratic area, because the Chinese do regulate, they just crack down on everything. The, the EU is the only one to actually take meaningful action usually on AI and on technology in general, they, but they take a while to do it. They take two, three, four years to do it. The Americans just, they, they talk a great game and they have their day in Congress or in the Senate, but they usually don't regulate meaningfully. At the moment, all eyes are on the EU in terms of AI regulation. The companies 
are throwing the kitchen sink at lobbying to try and water down potential regulations and rules around AI. They're saying that this is going to hamper innovation. It'll hurt Europe's future from an industrial uh, point of view. So that debate is being had at the moment, but it takes a long time. In the context of what has happened over the last week, I don't know how regulators could have stepped in that quickly or that dynamically to do anything about it. And there was nothing really there on the books that would have informed what actually transpired with OpenAI. It might have given them some better infrastructure in terms of the arguments they were having over safety versus commercialism. And hopefully that will come out of EU regulation, uh, which we'll see in the next year or so. But it's very, very hard. And by the time the EU does regulate for this, it's very possible, if not likely, that at least some of the legislation will be superseded by the technology. Putin has himself said whoever wins this artificial intelligence race is essentially the controller of humankind. Do you agree with that? So that was a chilling statement for sure. What I hope instead is that we successively develop more and more powerful systems that we can all use in different ways that get integrated into our daily lives, into the economy, and, and become an amplifier of human will, but not this autonomous system that is the you know, single this one controller thing. Yeah. essentially got. Really don't want that. And my thanks to Adrian Wecker. I'm Ellen Coyne, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by D Ready, researched by Dave Hanrity and Keno Brin, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from Reuters, CNN, BBC, and CNBC. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts.